On today's episode of the Success Trails Podcast, I welcome Carl Shanstra. Carl's the owner of Automation Systems. He's also involved with his wife in Jury Design Kitchen. In fact, his wife Gladys was on this podcast, so check out that episode. It's filled with tons of great insight. But before we get to this episode, if you're a small business owner and you wanna level up your customer service to be the Ritz Carlton of your industry, check out my new online course, Superhero Service, Super Profits. The notes are in the show notes. You can find out more information there. But for now, let's get back to this episode, Carl Shanstra. All right, Carl, thank you for coming on the Success Trails podcast. Thanks, Hank. Pleasure to be here. So, Carl, for those who aren't familiar with yourself or your multiple businesses, kind of get everybody a quick backstory of how you got to where you are today. So my parents were older when I was born. We're going all the way back. No, and uh, it was a family business that was on the edge of bankruptcy when my father died. And so I took it over, brought it back from that, went through the Great Recession. And um, then I started growing like crazy outside of that and brought it right near to bankruptcy again. And then fought back away from that and learned some great lessons through all of those challenges. Challenges are the great equalizer in business. And those that fight through them are the ones that thrive, not just survive. So when you took over, was it, I want to completely overhaul everything because maybe it's not working. I want to not touch too much. What was kind of your uh, mentality coming in? survival. That was my mentality. Coming in, I didn't realize my dad had put two lines of credit on the company. I knew of one and the other one was this hidden thing. And so we were just trying to survive as a young family. I was 23 years old, didn't know a whole lot, but thought I knew everything after I dropped out of college because it wasn't going to get me the leadership skills I needed going to engineering school, Um, at least so I thought. And so For us, it was just, how do we get through the next week? How do we cover payroll? We were paycheck to paycheck for payroll. And at that point, we were uh, like nine employees. So I had families that I was responsible for and and felt that weight pretty heavily. And coming in, what right off the bat maybe was the hardest thing? Was there a lesson that you learned right away? Like, oh my goodness, I was not expecting that, especially as a young business owner, a young leader. What kind of struck you right away, maybe that you weren't prepared for? How much power I had as the owner. That that title was, um, A, there was people that were there before me, that were older than me, that were more mature than me. And they were trying to usurp that authority, which made a battle or a war inside the business, if you will. But the reality is, I could have just said, you're fired, we're done. I'm not going to have that type of attitude. It would have caused me some more pain in the minute, but it would have alleviated a long-term trial instead of me trying to work with bad apples. I have a level of power as owner that you wield very, very gently. A good, a good owner has to wield it gently, but also know that they have it. And I, that was a lesson that took me a few years to learn, to finally get a hold of. And it was probably the first lesson I really needed to learn well. And were you met with any friction coming in? Just kind of the new guy up, here we go. This is the son. He's going to try to do this or that uh, or not necessarily. Well, I'd been sweeping the floors and and I had plenty of grunt work. My father was a firm believer that you needed to pay your dues and hard. Um, I remember one time I put the broom and the dustpan back in the wrong spot. And that was a long 30-minute car ride on how you can't act like that and where he was 
chewing me out pretty hard. So in that regard, I knew the business well because I came up in it, but there was a lack of respect for my age that, you know, people older than me, I know this, I'm in this position. You just, you're young, dumb puppy that came into ownership all of a sudden. Wasn't exactly true, but there was, there was a lot of pushback on that. Yeah. So what, what were some maybe other key lessons that your dad taught you early on? Was there stuff that to this day you still have in the back of your mind um, as you run the business that this was a huge lesson he taught me that I'll never forget? Yeah. So he was big on KPIs. He didn't call them that then. That's the terminology we use today. But he was out there checking the counts on every machine, every eight hours, making sure. And if something wasn't right, he was hounding on it. And um there's a lot of good with that, but if you hound too much on it too, I've learned that there's a there's a blend. There's a time for being hard nosed about the KPIs, and there's a time to say, okay, yeah, we're we're failing them. We're in the yellow zone or the red zone, but we need to breathe and and just look at that and understand the why before we go crazy making changes. And I think it was before we did the interview. Uh, you mentioned about the culture change you created was it 2009 you said yeah so in 2009 my wife and i went to vegas as i was doing regularly for the fastener show but i heard about this little company called zappos um the shoe company (laughs) yeah and i went on their culture tour and this was a whole new thing i'd never heard about a culture in a company before and i got their book this is who we are was this huge heavy duty printed binder and i said i think what they're doing makes sense And I bought in kind of hard, like I tend to do. I go all out right away and see how it's going to work and never regret that decision. Bringing that back and actually thinking of our company culture as a living, breathing entity that we need to nurture. We need to put time and effort and energy in so that it can blossom has paid really huge dividends. Um, When everybody else was short in the last few years of employees, Um, we were never nearly as bad as everybody else. It was harder to hire and harder to find new talent to bring them in. But once they were with us, they didn't leave. And you got to remember, most of my pay scales in that minimum wage bracket for this company. We're, we're, uh, you know, we're manufacturing, we're tight, we grind, the automotive industry grinds pricing down, very competitive. And so for me to say they can go somewhere else and make $2 an hour more, well, when they're making at that time 12 or 13, that's huge. That's 20% pay difference. And they left that job to come back and work for us because of how good our culture is. So, you know, buying into that, doing monthly meetings, buying pizza for the people, we were doing all of this since 2010, since right around that Great Recession. We bought in hard on that. And that built us a lot of grace for mistakes we've made along the way with people because we have a track record now of, of really caring and putting the employees first, even above the customers. I know there's a lot of people that say your customers have to be first, put yourself in their shoes. And that's a part of business. But if you don't have your employees marching along your path with you hand in hand, um, you can't service the customer. You can't take care of them. You can't do all of that. So, you know, once you get that employee, now all of a sudden you have to shift from a I can do anything for the customer as a single entrepreneur, as your own, you know, gig economy type worker to, okay, I've got to take care of this employee because they're ultimately taking care of me and the customer. And that shift is, is, has been huge for us. 
Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I mean, those listening, if you haven't ever checked out Zappos material, the great late, great Tony Shea, I mean, great uh, content. Was there anything else from that that you really took that you implemented or was it just as simple as just taking care of your team, which sadly is not the norm? Yeah. So A, let me touch on that. It is shocking how it's not the norm. I've been doing it for so long. When I hear other companies and people talk about, oh, I work there and they don't do this sort of stuff, it still blows my mind every time because I take it now for granted that that's how we treat our people. Um, so don't that that's not a light comment that you made there on how shocking that is. The other thing I took from them was they had a library of free books to hand out and constant learning. And I think when when you're dealing with employees, they they're happy to learn sort of. They think, yeah, I want to learn. I want to improve my career, but that's hard work. So I'll take the book and I'll set it on the shelf. That's one thing. But if, when you make it a culture of learning, like I belong to Vistage, which is a CEO group, and I've sent my members to Vistage. I've spent money and it's not cheap. It's an expensive group to be a part of, but you surround yourself with other learners and it helps you keep and continue to grow. So from my perspective, helping people learn, even if they're going to walk away, even if you have a tour of duty for your, your business of four or five years, and you know they're going to walk away after that because that's how long your employees typically, it's still worth every penny that you can spend to invest in them and to invest in that learning because they bring it back and they find that golden nugget from that book or that speaker or that event where they were at. And it transforms you as a whole company to such a great degree that you you continue to blossom and grow. It's that continuous improvement type mentality that is really what you what you have to have. Yeah, it's funny you say that. Actually, the last interview I just did the other day with a business owner, she mentioned uh, you spoke about a library that she gives her team a book every quarter and then they get together and they almost like a book club, but she wants them to continuously get better and uh, learn. So that's interesting that you bring that up. You mentioned that you uh, get yourself better by belonging to this, um, was it association or a club? It's or? Vistage. It's like a CEO uh, board of members group where there's 14 guys with one leader who who's paid for by Vistage, by the CEO group. And we all get together and join around once a month and then I also do one-to-ones where that that uh, chair is what they call them, or the group leader is a mentor to me as as, a, as you know as you run through that. Got it. Um, that's one of the ways we learn. We also go go to the Global Leadership Summit every year. It's a two-day event held nas- internationally. It's a global event, and um, it's very very cost-effective. It's a couple hundred bucks. You can do it digitally online. And it has amazing leaders um, that, you know, it's had several past presidents. It's had, you know, everybody in the leadership summit, in the leadership arena. was there and, uh, you know, Facebook's Sheryl Sandberg. Uh, so there's a, just a lot of great ways out there that you can pull in this information and, and you just need to see, search it out. Do you f- feel like it's important as a business owner to look to other industries for ideas, for insights, for best practices, or do you tend to kind of stick to your own kind of uh, niche, if you will? So I kind of think um, if you go back to 
um, Gerber's book, The E-Myth. Um, he talked about how you have technicians and you have managers and you have like entrepreneurs and the difference there. I think the technician side of it varies in business. Like each business has its own different technician roles. Um, but once you hit management and entrepreneur, it's all the same. It, 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 it slightly varies, but not enough to even warrant differentiating it. And kind of as you as you talk about, it's a good segue to the fact that you are involved in multiple businesses. So maybe expand a little bit on that. And is there commonalities that you've been able to take from one business into the other or not so much? Yeah, so business to business businesses, which is um, two of the four businesses I'm involved in, um, are slight there there's a little bit of a difference to those than the business to consumer. Um, cause business to business has more repeatability with the customer base, um, more intensive relationships that you have to build with the customer base where business to consumer often feels a little more transactional. It shouldn't, but it often does because you're dealing with the customer and then they go away and maybe they come back a year later or two or five or six months, depending on the product. So we have a pet mess cleaner, um, and that's very transactional. We're, we were on Amazon. We're going to be back on Amazon. And it's going to, and it, it's a great product, but it's transactional. There's not that love for the customer and it, it, and it feels different. But business is business. You still have to market it. You still have to have your pitch down on what you're selling, whether it's a service or business. You still have to have your, your make sure you're making your margin. You know, profits to a company is like air to your body. If it's not there, you're not surviving. You know, and you just got to have that sort of stuff. So, and you know, management's management. It's dealing with people in a proper way and loving them and caring about them um, even more than they actually care about you or care about themselves. So I know you're involved in one business with your wife and then, you know, the business that we're speaking at majority at the beginning here of this um podcast was a family business. What's been harder for you? I know it's all family business, but kind of more the work with your wife or taking over your father's business? Um, taking over the family business was really challenging. There was a lot of weight behind it that you had to deal with, a lot of baggage. Um, when you start fresh, there's no baggage. And I didn't start fresh without having any entrepreneurial experience, right? So I, I kind of was bred into this entrepreneurial role. And so I understand a lot of what it takes to get something moving and to keep pushing forward and to withstand the ups and downs. I mean, there is no bigger roller coaster ride than business. The highs are so high and the lows are so low and, and you're all over the place. You think the stock market goes up and down. Wait till you're a business owner. Holy cow, your emotions flow all over the place and you've got to be able to handle that. Um, and that's the same, that's been the same in startups and in doing acquisitions and, you know, running a stable company. Um, I think it's freeing. It was freeing for me to go from having this legacy company that I took over or a legacy business I'm acquiring to starting my own and doing it exactly how I want to do it. And you're still going to make mistakes and you're still going to be wrong half the time. And you still got to learn how to pivot fast. The faster you can pivot, the more mistakes you get to make, the better success you get to get. And so, and then working with your wife, you had mentioned that one, Hank. Yes. And, 
I love my wife. We met at college and we got married at a very young age, 19 and 20, which I don't recommend to most people. Um, I'm not hopeful that my children will marry, marry that young. I'm not opposed to it for the right case. Um, we are dedicated to each other first. And that kind of makes everything else work its way out. Um, but you're you're living life as your business or business as your life. It, it doesn't separate. Um, I think one of the biggest myths out there today is that you can have balance in your life. And I think over your entire life, sure, let's talk about balance. But it's life is seasonal. There is a season of all work, all, you know, pay down a debt, all focus on this, and you give all your all to whatever that season is. And then you transition away from that season. And I, I, that's how I look at life. I don't think you can ever achieve true balance in life. Um, but again, I'm more a jack of all trades, master of none. So maybe if you're a master, you can master that, go to work, just do that, and then come home and just do the home life. You know, I, 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 that's not what I found to be true. So kind of give everyone, you know, a little bit review again, because I know we're kind of bouncing around in the different businesses. Uh, just review real quick the businesses that you're involved in. All right. I'll, I'll kind of do a timeline. So um, 2003, when my dad died, I took over automation systems. That's the manufacturing that does service part enhancement for customer parts. Um, and then we started... My wife uh, went off on her own and started her own design business in I th 2011, and she ran that. And then we did an acquisition to be Drury, and so that became a much bigger company a year and a half ago. But then after she was off on her own, now we're all on our own. There's no standard job to back us up. It's all eat what we kill. And then in 2020, I started our 20. I'm sorry, 20. 19, we started the pet cleaning product because I wanted to get in on Amazon and I wanted to find a product and everything in my manufacturing says I've got a great supply chain to do car cleaning products. And then we were researching all of this and we found pet cleaning products has a much better market share. So we switched and we created a new formula that eliminates scents and it's a great product. And that was that clean Carl's. And then we, then I started in the middle of the great recession, a business with a partner, uh, which makes feeder bowls, which feeds into my original business of automation systems. Cause I needed a good supplier to keep me in equipment that was really good at a cost effective price. So when you look at all these businesses, someone might be listening going, Oh my goodness, how does he put his time into each business and give it the love and tenderness that they need. How do you do that? Someone listening who maybe wants to have multiple businesses is a serial entrepreneur. How do you do it? So let me give you one of my favorite all-time quotes. You can't underestimate the unimportance of nearly everything. So to think I give each business the appropriate amount of time it needs, not even close. There, you're you're falling in love with failure. That's what you're doing, and you're okay with it. And when the time is right to strike, you strike on that one business and you push hard, and then you back off and you strike at another one, and you delegate and you delegate and you delegate. Um, if somebody else can do it at eighty percent effective as I could, and they cost less than me, pass it off. 
Yeah, there'll be more mistakes. Yeah, there'll be more learning curves, but we're all human. It's who we are. We, we're not going to get past that. We can't expect or, or try to strive for that perfection. Get it there, push it out the door and improve and work at it. Yeah, and I think uh, it seems like a lot of small business owners have that struggle where they just don't want to let go. And they think if they do pass it off, someone has to be just like them and nobody is you, right? I mean, you're the owner. They're not going to love it as much as you because they don't own the business. Um, so I agree with you. Well, I'd hate if somebody was just like me and work with me. Yeah. Man, they drive me nuts. That would not be a good, uh, a good partnership. Uh, you know, you talked a lot about your dad. Um, talked a lot about some of the great books, uh, Zappos and um, the E-Myth. Any other resources, podcasts, books, mentors that have really shaped you as a leader that you want to share? Um, one thing about mentors that I th- I've been learning recently um, is I think you need to consider them as like a tour of duty with, with, your, with you. Um, I've always been trying to, well, why did, why did I outgrow this mentor or why did, how, how come I'm not getting out of them what I was when I first came under their wing? And it's like, well, you learn And If you're a constant or a voracious learner, eventually you learn what they have on that topic. And, you know, the other areas of their life, they're not your mentor in. So you, you need to shift. You're grateful for what they gave and what they've helped you. And man, I, one of my mentors early on was Hart. And he taught me everything about the equipment here at Automation Systems. I mean, he brought me in and he did all that. And I would not be able to go back and do diagnostics on machines if it wasn't for him. And I totally appreciate that. When we grew the business and I started handing off that diagnostic technician work so I could be more managerial in that, I didn't need that anymore. And I kind of outgrew that portion of his being a mentor. Still a great friend with me. We went to Alaska fishing. Love the guy. But the mentorship shifted and it changed. And that was difficult to understand in the midst of it because you're frustrated you're not getting the help. Well, you're not getting the help because they didn't necessarily grow in that area anymore or they didn't grow in the area where you need the help now and you need to find somebody new, somebody different that can help you. Yeah, that's that's an interesting take on it. Uh, kind of almost like going through school, right? You got that grade school teachers who help yep. you a certain way. And then you got to move on to junior high and so on. I, I really like that take. Yeah. Now, as we're kind of winding down here, what would you want to leave the listeners with two big takeaways that you think, you know what, I really want to impact you with these two thoughts, quotes, phrases from one business owner to another, what would you leave them with? So I think one of my all-time favorite quotes is by M. Scott Peck. He wrote the book, The Road Less Traveled. It's all about psychology and getting yourself right in your head, dealing with family of origin. And and his quote is, um, people only grow when the pain of staying the same is greater than the pain of change. And... When you think about that, you got to be almost a little sadistic to want to change and want to grow and experience that pain when life isn't so painful, but go out and enjoy some pain. Go out and find that difficult, that weird moment, that odd moment, and sit in it for a little bit, experience it, and learn from it. So I think that's kind of one of the key takeaways that I like. Almost like get yourself uncomfortable kind of, right? Yeah. Yeah. 
Go ahead and be uncomfortable because that's where you're going to grow. You're not going to grow in the comfort zone. And then um, I listen to a lot of Simon Sinek and different things like that. And he's, he's phenomenal. And this infinite game that was his last book is really important. I, I do some research on Simon Sinek, listen to some of his YouTube videos and start with why and some of his other stuff. And just even his TikToks go out there and just a little bit, of, a little bit every day. Is there I, mean, I do. So every day I do two things that I hate doing. Um, not every day for the workout, but three to five times a week, I go and I would do an orange theory workout, which highs in high intensity training. I'm an overweight, over a middle-aged white dude. I am not the guy that likes to be in the gym working out. That is not me. I like to sit and have a nice bacon sandwich. Let's talk, you know? Um, but I do that hard work because six months down the road, it's going to pay off. And then the other thing I do is the five-minute journal every morning, which is a gratitude journal. And those are kind of two things that I would also say, find something that helps settle you in the midst of the storm. And because life is a storm and you got to enjoy the pain, enjoy the storm, enjoy all of it. Well, Carl, it's been great. Uh, you've given us some really uh, good insight into your businesses and uh, how you operate as a leader. For those interested in maybe connecting with you or learning more about your multiple businesses, kind of give everybody links, websites, social media, uh, whatever you want to pass along. Sure. I'm, I'll go on out on a limb and I'll say, here's my cell phone. It's 847-909. Pardon? Dangerous throwing it out there. <laughs> I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to live dangerously. I want to help people. And if they, if they have the courage to ask, um, I'll be there. Let's talk. 847-909. 3690. Um, my email is Carl, C A R L, at weassembleforyou.com, W E A S S E M B L E, the number four, the letter U.com. And you hit me up at either of those places. And I probably won't pick up the phone because there's so many spam callers, but you leave me a message, I will get back to you. Well, Carl, you are the first official person on this podcast to leave their phone number. So I applaud you for that. And those listening, best way is to learn from others. So shoot them a message, if anything, just to say, hey, thanks for uh, some of the nuggets you dropped on the podcast. But Carl, thanks again. Wishing you nothing but success uh, with all the businesses. Thank you. Thanks, Hank. So thank you for listening to the Success Trails podcast. And please, please, please share this podcast with family, friends, coworkers, anybody that you think wants to excel in life, even if they're not a business owner. If they are a business owner or an entrepreneur or maybe want to be a business owner, then even more so. And also, if you could, please subscribe to the Success Trails podcast. Have a great day.